Good morning. Thank you guys for not being intimidated by the weather. You are here, whether it's raining or shining or whatever it is. That's right. That's right. You can cheer for yourself. Let's see, it's Friday morning this past week. I am at Starbucks with a stack of books and my laptop, which is a normal, normal thing. Some of you guys will run into me at various Starbucks around town because sometimes I, I just need to get away from here to just get some moment to be able to study. But I'm looking around and there's a, a guy at a table next to me with his laptop, a bunch of stuff spread on the table. And across the way, there's another guy with a laptop who soon will run out of power and he'll come sit by me so he can plug in. And then right at the table next to me, there's somebody with a big binder open and he's going through stuff and doing all this work. And, and I'm thinking, you know, wow, times have changed. Do you remember when people went to work? Right, remember that? I mean, my, my dad went to work. He went to work dressed in a business suit, charcoal gray, every day with a white starched shirt on that he got from the Chinese laundry just off of Carrollton Avenue. That he would pick it up in these, these wrapped uh, brown paper bag wrappers. You guys remember this uh, practice? And so he would, he would dress up for work and go to the same place every day. Today, people work out of their homes. They work out of Starbucks. Uh, uh, Pete was telling me the other day that Google, if you work for Google, you just show up whenever you want. You set your own hours. You can work at home. Just as long as you get the work done, you don't even have to come to work. Or you can come at night. You show up, you know, some people show up in the middle of the night because that's just when their creative juices work the best. Uh, there was no such thing years ago for my dad. My dad never walked out the door with, like, casual Friday, you know? Now it's like every day is casual Friday. There was, there was no dress-down day uh, because times have changed, right? Well, times have changed not only in the work world, but times have changed when it comes to the church as well. I mean, just look around. There's, there's no wooden pews here. There's no stained glass. There's no steeple with a bell in it. Uh, I'm not wearing a collar. I'm not even wearing a tie. I am wearing a jacket. But, you know, this is about as casual as we've chosen to get. Th- things have changed in the church as well. Now, now, be careful because some of us here just hate change and any change, therefore, is wrong change. Uh, forgetting that whatever it was that we were doing changed from something previously <laughs> before and we just adopted that. We got a new practice going on, but We didn't know it was new, so it was always for us. Some changes are fine, but some changes aren't fine. Today, I want to talk about what does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it really mean to be a part of the church? In 1983, I had been saved at that point for four years, and if I were to survey those four years of my Christian walk, how many guys here have been saved less than four years or less? Let me see your hands. Four years or less. Okay. Over the, the course of those four years, Christianity, my walk with God, would have consisted of personal Bible study, which was a very important factor in my life. I would have participated in a, a little Bible study with some friends on most Friday nights. Um, 
I continued to attend the Catholic church that I had grown up attending, you know, most of the time. I, when I went, was at LSU, I participated in a campus ministry there. But I had no notion or idea of what did it mean to be a part of the church. That, that was just a foreign thing for me. I just never had come across people who live their life within something defined by the Bible as to being a part of the church. You know, back then the language, and it still is around today, the language was, is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Right? And that's still around. And it's well intended, and I think it's probably necessary in some ways, because it, it pulls us out of this category that somehow Jesus Christ could be your Savior simply because you're associated with some larger group in some way. You attend some meetings, you're part of a particular denomination, and therefore he's your savior. And the emphasis, biblically, really needs to be, no, no, personally, have you come to a place where you've put your faith and your hope for your whole life and your future and your rightness with God into the person and work of Christ? That does need to be a personal decision. But somewhere along the way, personal Lord and Savior can also mean removed from others, you know, my religion's a personal issue, just me and God walking this thing out together. And, you know, when we come to the scripture, we find that there is a personal dimension to what God is doing in our lives, but there's also a larger context dimension of what God is doing as well. And to be a healthy Christian, bringing the glory of God through our lives, there needs to be both dimensions taking place. Right, you're gonna, you see that. Turn to, turn to John chapter 21. I'm not really going to do much from here. Matt did a great job last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to get the CD from the message he did. He really covered uh, God's dealing with Peter in this particular chapter. And I, I want to just draw something out of here, and we're actually going to look at some scripture in uh, two other places in just a moment. But in this passage, you find Jesus' concern for Peter, but you find another concern as well. Just read these passages with me. Verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there is a dual emphasis in this passage. There is the individual personal care that Jesus brings in restoring Peter. And, you know, quite often we draw out the illustration of how Jesus three times appeals to Peter after Peter had three times denied the Lord. But what's interesting here is in all three times, 
there's one thing that Jesus emphasizes three times to Peter. Not only is it, Peter, I just I want to make sure you understand I'm restoring you, but I also want to make sure you understand what I'm restoring you to. There's a passion in God, not only to care for Peter here, but listen carefully, to care for you and me. I think most of us can travel down the road that Jesus is restoring Peter. Well, you know, of course, you know, he's, he's Peter, you know, he's main character in the Bible. You know, do you ever find yourself thinking that God would do with the main characters of the Bible what he wouldn't do for you? Well, in this passage, the passion of God for this main character, Peter, is pointing towards the passion of God for a group that he's going to call his sheep. And really, the, the volume of Peter's restoration is set by what he's restored to. You know, it'd be one thing if he said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to be letting you back in. You're back in, but you're going to be taking the garbage out from now on. You know, once you were apostolic royalty, now you are your peasant citizen, but at least you're back in, Peter. That's the good news. You know, what's amazing about the restoration of God, and this would be something for us to get some faith for in our own lives, is the monumental task and importance of what it is that Jesus restores Peter to. It's kind of like the restoration of the prodigal son who runs off and in his mind is saying, you know, if I return, I'm, I'm going to be restored to being a hired servant. You know, the ones who, who don't actually even live on the grounds. They're, they're just available in case we've got a little bit too much work that day, then I can be hired on to do some of that work in my father's home. And when he returns, what does the father do? Remember, he's prepared. He's got his spiel going. You know, I, I want to be restored, father, to this. He, he doesn't even get to present that before the father lavishes upon him a restoration that he's not prepared for. Take the robe. Put it on him. Put, put the ring, the family signet, back on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. This, this is a monumental restoration. Now, I don't know what you were thinking when when the Lord restores you to himself out of whatever it is that you came out of, sometimes it's hard to believe that God would have much in store given where we've been. Or given for Peter here, not just, you know, this is not just, well, Peter the nasty fisherman who gets to be an apostle. No, this is Peter the apostle who gets to return to being an apostle. Right? You know the difference? How many of us have great faith for God to restore us in light of what we were before we knew him? But we have a really hard time believing God can restore us when we screw up after we come to know him. Peter is being restored to that which is most precious to Christ. Peter, do you love me? Shepherd my sheep. It was not an assignment that could have been given on earth more important to the Son of God. In this passage, D.A. Carson highlights the emphasis now is on the pastoral rather than the evangelistic. You know, And leading up to this moment, as we said a couple of weeks ago, there is this sent dynamic. So out into the world is going the church launched with the gospel. But in this setting, it's the pastoral emphasis that Jesus brings to Peter. Peter's love for his Lord 
and the evidence of his reinstatement are both to be displayed in Peter's pastoral care for the Lord's flock. And today I want to emphasize the title of the message today is The Passion of the Shepherd and the Purpose of the Flock. And today happens to be Membership Sunday where we celebrate uh, honoring those who are new members in the church. And we'll explain a little bit about uh, what these folks have taken steps to become members in the church and what that means. But, you know, before you and I can put any kind of value on membership, I, I think I need to grasp how God feels about being a part of his flock, his passion for being a part of the household of God. There's, there's no way you and I could ever orient our lives correctly around God's people if we don't have a sense of what kind of passion does God have for his people. So what I want to do this morning, I want to walk us through a couple of passages where shepherding God's people has become dysfunctional. Two settings that Jesus used, that Jesus uses one, the Old Testament uses the other as a backdrop upon which we learn the heart of God in shepherding his sheep. Turn back to John chapter 10 first. Matt was lamenting that we were actually finishing John. Looks like we're, we're just going to go back to 10 and we'll move on from there. So it's like a dream come true, Matt. Um, <laughs> we're never going to get out of this gospel. <laughs> uh, John chapter 10, for anybody who's familiar with scripture would know, this is, this is the story of the good shepherd. But, you know, like, like all stories in the gospels, they, they are where they are for a particular reason. It's not as just though these are just random collected thoughts that are thrown in place. There's an inspired work of God going on here. So when you get to John chapter 10 and Jesus begins to talk about shepherds, right? In verse 1 he says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And immediately he's into this illustration about sheep and shepherds. Now, why right here? Well, because the whole previous chapter is about the failure of the shepherds of Israel. John chapter 9, you read this incredible story about the care and grace and mercy of God that comes to this man who was born blind. Remember the story? Why was this man born blind? There's a big scandal and questions about why it is that he's born blind. And in the midst of trying to figure out the minutiae and how it is that he's healed, something gets overlooked. The fact that God has stepped in and miraculously healed this man. God's mercy has been poured out into this man's life in John chapter 9. And there's this great controversy and the leaders of Israel are trying to figure out what's going on. And you know their response to this man being healed? Is to kick him out. He gets kicked out of the, of the flock, if you will. And immediately Jesus begins to relate an illustration about what the good shepherd is like against the backdrop of failed shepherds because the leaders of Israel were called the shepherds of God's people. And so in this illustration, we learn something about what did God have in mind when he wanted to shepherd his flock? Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. 
If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Now remember, this is connected to the illustration Jesus uses for Peter in terms of what he's called to do. But in this, in this story, this illustration, there's a, there's a few elements to it that every one of them speaks significantly to what it is to have spiritual life and to be healthy as a believer. Right? You have a good shepherd. You have sheep. You, you have a door. You have a flock. You have danger, and you have abundant life. Right now, here's the, here's the elements into this story that Jesus brings. And, and Jesus makes this double connection to himself. He says two things about himself, and he says both of them twice. He says he is the door, and he says he is the good shepherd. And I want to see how those connect in just a moment. But go back to, to verse 9 here. I am the door... If anyone enters by me, if anyone enters by me, and so immediately as we read this verse, there's, there's something to enter into and there's a means through which to enter it. Right? Is that clear? There's something to enter into in this passage. Well, you know, what is it that one enters into? Well, ultimately Jesus is using an illustration of a sheepfold, of, of a flock, of a defined number of sheep who are in relationship with a shepherd, and through that shepherd's care, that they, they come in and out of a fold, come in and out of a pen, and they find pasture. They find, they find a good life. They find all that they need, and Jesus actually uses the term abundant life. This is the means through which abundant life is portrayed in Scripture. Now, most of us are familiar with that term, abundant life, because we've heard a lot of messages on that. We've heard somebody in your life as a Christian has preached a message on the abundant life, how to have the abundant life, what is the abundant life. But most of the time, I have to admit, as I think back over things I've heard about the abundant life, most of the time, the abundant life, as it was explained, had nothing to do with a shepherd and nothing to do with a flock. It, It tended to have to do with the good life more than it did the abundant life right here. Right? It tended to have to do with things that we call valuable, things that we might run after, things that we would be willing to make huge investments in in order to have. And, and listen, you know, we're investing in things in our life. And from a young age, we're convinced how important it is to invest in education. 
All right, we want our kids to grow up educated. We wanted to have the right education. Uh, you know, and part of that is because we thought education would be a key to what? The good life. That's, that's how you get there. And we still, you know, a lot of us would be in places still in our lives where that needs to be maintained as a priority. Education, schooling, it's a priority in my life because I'm convinced it will take me somewhere good. You graduate, you get a career. Advancing in that career becomes the next thing that will take you to the good life. Career introduces you to money. Money becomes a means through which you attain certain things, and certain things seem to be the good life. If I could have this, or go here, or travel this much, or own that item, or whatever it is, you fill in the blank for whatever it is that means a lot to you, that's the good life, right? The only problem is, none of that is in this verse. How does one get the good life here? What, what was abundant life in this context? Well, abundant life in this context, it has an address. It's in the flock of God being cared for by the shepherd. That's the abundant life in this passage. Now, there's a door into this flock. And Jesus ties something together. At one moment, he's calling himself a door, and commentators kind of have fits with this. One moment, he's a door, and the next moment, he's the good shepherd. Well, how do these two things go together? Because for Jesus, when he spoke this, one flowed right out of the other. I am the door. He says it twice. He explains that for a moment. Then I am the good shepherd. He says that twice and explains that for a moment. Back to back, he puts these two things together. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he immediately goes into, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he gives this great illustration, and I think sometimes we depart into the illustration too far. The hired hand is not like the shepherd. The hired hand is going to run for his life when, when problems come. And so we run off into that. We use this as a model for good leadership, you know, what it is to care for God's people. And, and there's certainly some truth in that. There's a dimension here where, where that's being illustrated. But Jesus clarifies something about his death that doesn't make it a model for every other shepherd. Because he says here that he lays his life down on purpose that he may take it back up again. See, his death is a unique death. Because in, in one sense, what's the difference between a dead shepherd and one who ran away? Right? You're the brave shepherd, right? I've read this passage, and here comes the wolves, a pack of wolves are coming, and and I'm inspired to be brave by this, which, which you should be. You're inspired to be brave. And five minutes later, you're dead. What's going to happen to the sheep now? The same thing that would have happened if you'd run. <laughs> They're going to be eaten and scattered. So there's something unique here about Jesus. Jesus' death is not going to leave the sheep vulnerable. Because there's a uniqueness in this person of Christ who is the good shepherd. No one else is the good shepherd. There are other shepherds we'll see in a moment in the Bible, but no one is the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep that he may take it up again. Right? If you just keep reading a little bit further, 
Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This is a unique death. This is a death like no one else ever will die. There's not another person who's ever lived who could say, you know what, I got the power to die and I got the power to come right back to life if I want Right? I guess if you committed suicide, you might say you got the power to die. But, you know, that's the end of your story, right? You don't have the power to take your life back up again. And someone reading the Bible who finds a storyline finds a man named Jesus Christ from Nazareth who walked on the earth and he was crucified by Romans who were put up to that by the inner workings of some leaders in the nation of Israel. That's the historic story of Jesus dying. No one took his life, though. He laid down his life. And in laying down his life and taking it up, the death and resurrection of Christ is, isn't it, the doorway into the flock. See, why are these two things back to back? Because they belong together. There is no other means through which any of us comes into the flock of God. We come in through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is no other basis for any of us to be accepted before God and to be in his sheepfold. So the passion for God, there's a passion in God revealed in the word to care for every one of us. But that care only comes for those, not those who jump in over the side wall, but those who come through the door. Those who come through the death and resurrection of Christ. You know, this this is going to stay consistent. When you keep traveling in John, you get to John chapter 14. And Jesus begins to tell the story about heavenly mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I believe it's Thomas who asks, well, how how will we know the way? Jesus grabs that question and says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So this is the same teaching over and over and over again. He is the door. He is the way. No one comes to the Father but through him. No one enters into the flock but through the person and work of Christ. So in John 10, there's this strategy revealed about the good shepherd. I'm going to put this in your outline. The strategy of God in delivering the good life means bringing sheep into the flock of the good shepherd through the death of Christ. Right? That's, that's what that illustration is. When you, when you just grab abundant life, you're going to miss something. Right? There's a strategy of God. Does God want you to have an abundant life? Yes, he does. But for God, abundant life has an address. It's in a particular location under a particular influence in your life. Now, if I... Look here again in John 10. There's something else in this story that I want to make sure we catch. Verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. You know what? Christianity is not just an abundant life. It's also a dangerous life. 
See, if I'm just thinking Christianity is just fill in the blanks with whatever I think is an abundant good life, I can have the good life. But do you realize you're living a dangerous life as well? Realize there is danger. This is presented as though when the wolf comes, not if by chance, possibly, maybe, but not likely. When the wolf comes, there's danger in the Christian life. And the one thing you don't want to be as a Christian is scattered. The Bible talks about being scattered. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 34. This is our other example of dysfunctional connection between the care of the shepherd and the flock of God. Ezekiel chapter 34. If you remember the context of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is a prophet with the nation of Israel in exile. They are no longer in the promised land. They're living, if you would, outside of the, I guess you can maybe say outside of the abundant life. They're outside of this idyllic condition where God had set up for him to be their shepherd and for them to be his flock. And they have wandered from that. They've been scattered from that. And they're now in exile in the country of Babylon. And they're under their control and influence. And God now is bringing a judgment against the shepherds of Israel. In Ezekiel 34, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. And he's going to go on in the verses after that and explain how it is that these shepherds have failed to care for God's people. Now, that's a great message, and and perhaps we'll collect some thought from that. Because in this passage, there's failure on shepherd's part, and there's actually failure on the sheep's part. In this chapter, the sheep have run each other off as well, and the shepherds have failed in their duties to the sheep. But what I want us to capture more than that this morning is the passion of the shepherd. What was God after in shepherding his people? And you pick that up in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. I just want, I'm going to pull a few thoughts out of here so to make sure that we catch uh, what Daniel Block calls Yahweh's shepherding style. What is it like for God to be your shepherd? He's the good shepherd. He cares for his people. And you hear him personify all the duties and responsibilities of a shepherd. He says, I, I myself. One translator actually says, you could translate that phrase, here I am. Behold, here I am. This this is one of the dimensions, I think, of the Christian life that sometimes we depart from way too easily. The personal presence of, of God. There's an aspect in us that longs for the personal presence of God. My soul thirsts for God. There's, There's a nearness of God. Psalm 73 says, the nearness of God is my good. There's there's an intention that God had. Remember it was John 20 when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. There's this desire in God for his personal presence to be experienced by his people. So here's the people who have wandered from that presence and the shepherd heart of God is to show up in their life and say, here I am, behold, I've drawn near to you. 
again. See, in the flock of God, there is the presence of God. Look in verse 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. The good shepherd says, I will rescue them. The condition they are in when they are scattered is a condition from which they need to be rescued. Now, today, we, we live in a day, you know, things, things have changed. Today, the way in which people associate with the church Quite, quite honestly, when you look at what the Bible depicts that as, many people's association with the church doesn't look like they're part of the flock. They look more like scattered sheep. The way in which they live toward the church. I mean, I mean the first four years of my Christian walk, I, I knew so little about any of this. So I, you know, I'm just walking in what I know, and all of us have to walk those things out until God gives us some insight and revelation as to how to take further steps into the kingdom and understand those things. But, you know, today, it would not be uncommon to find Christians who sort of show up in one church one weekend, maybe don't go to church the next weekend, and then there's a concert the weekend after that that they attend, and then they'll, they'll spend two or three weeks going to a Bible study that somebody's doing somewhere in an office building or some night thing, and they kind of go for that for a little while, and, and then they, they'll visit, you know, Pastor Andy Stanley or Charles Stanley, or one of the guys on TV, and that's, that's church for them for a while. And maybe, then maybe back to church, but not this church, that church over there, because they got some friends that they used to attend that church. And, and then they're, they're back the next weekend, and they're watching so-and-so on TV. And then, then they come here the weekend after that, and, and maybe the next weekend too, but then they're off somewhere else. That's a scattered sheep. See, remember, there's a real key here, and this is, I'm going to draw this down. This all comes somewhere in the end. That there's a criticalness that Jesus talked in John chapter 10 about sheep who heard his voice. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. There's a dynamic that God wants to bring his shepherding into our lives so that we actually hear him. Here I am! And we experience his presence. And today's style of Christianity for some looks more scattered than it does a part of a flock where there's the things that Jesus had desired for a flock to be experiencing. Listen, scattered sheep are in danger. Scattered sheep need to be rescued. See, these are, these are people who once were in the flock of God, now they've been scattered from it. So this is not just an illustration about those who don't know Christ and never have and they need to be brought in. No, these are those who were in the flock of God and now they've become scattered in their life to where there's this dysfunctional relationship between the shepherd's care and the flock and how they walk and live their lives. And they need to be rescued. Rescued from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. You know, the implication here is that sheep don't get scattered on sunny days. Probably true in our life too, right? You know, sunny days when everything's going great. 
You feel good about your life. You feel good about the station of your life and where you are and how things are progressing. You have a healthy self-image. You feel good about people, people that are in your life, the people that are in the church that you're relating to. Things are interesting. Uh, You know, this is a real challenge. Uh, Things are interesting. Sometimes you do realize things are only interesting because they're new and you haven't figured them out yet. We would all go far as Americans to recognize that we're addicted to new. And so staying in one place for too long for Americans makes it very hard to stay in that place. So things start feeling, I don't know, at least cloudy in some of those moments, right? Boredom can set in. You can all of a sudden feel like, you know, conflict. Want to talk about something that scatters sheep? Get into a conflict with somebody in the church. Or better yet, get into a conflict with one of the leaders in the church. What about cloudy days? And, and what do you want to do in that moment? Run. Right? I, I don't want to do the, the biblical hard work of connecting with that person, of humbling myself, going to them in love, working through our differences. Maybe getting to a place where we realize one of us has sinned against one another. And we need to repent and humbly apologize and fix whatever it is that we've done. Or maybe just getting to a place that we realize that we just see something differently and neither one of us is more right than the other and we see something bigger than our dispute here about God's kingdom taking place in our midst and we're, and we're not, we're not going to run from one another. Listen, you know, uh, this morning we were in the School of the Word. Sam did an outstanding job of walking us through the Sermon on the Mount and talked about the importance of our lives declaring something to the world. Listen, I believe it's, it's heartbreaking to the good shepherd when we are in relationship with one another until the day it becomes difficult, until the moment there's conflict, until the moment that, you know, I heard that that person might have said, and I'm not even going to follow up with them, but I'm assuming that's true, and I'm going to begin to distance myself from them. Listen, the world doesn't need anybody to demonstrate that to them. They've seen that show over and over and over again. What the world needs to see is a love like Christ that blows people's minds, that you walk with one another in a way that they've never seen that before. And listen, if today's a sunny day for you, right, then you're having a real easy time just listening to this, but let me just tell you right now, you have sunny day ears as well. All right, so can everybody put themselves in the moment right now where you got cloudy day ears? All right, think back. Right, right, some of you are here in this church because in that last church, it got cloudy. Right now, I'm actually going to tell you at the end of the service, it may be that God wants to send you back. I'm not trying to shrink the church, but I am trying. <laughs> I'm not sure how many of that described just now. Maybe I should reconsider. Um, but the reality is, if that was the grounds upon which you left, you do need to go back and fix that because you didn't demonstrate the glory of God in that moment. It just got cloudy and it got a little difficult and I didn't like it. So I just, I just moved on to easier pastures. 
Well, well, guess what? You'll be moving on from here too. Because the odds are you just haven't discovered our warts yet. You know what? Go ahead. Get involved in a covenant group. See how long you last. (laughs) Covenant group's a great place. It's a great place. Right? I mean, sometimes we can just stay distant enough from ourselves where everything's great, isn't it? It's just great. It's a sunny day. But when you get involved and you begin to expect that people would be to you a certain way and they don't meet that expectation, they fall short, they fail you. All of a sudden, the clouds start to gather. You start feeling unloved, unappreciated. All of a sudden, you start feeling like this thick darkness or deep gloom, some translations say. Just another bunch of people who don't care about my needs, don't care about me. And you start feeling deeply gloomy about that. And the temptation in that moment is to do what? Is to scatter, to scatter from the flock of God. And so this passage is about sheep that it took a gloomy day, a cloudy day to scatter them. So if you're having a sunny day, realize, remember, when you start seeing clouds coming into your life and a little bit of shadow begins to gather over your life, remember this passage. I'm about to be tempted to scatter. Remember that. Because on a sunny day, it's almost like everything I just said was worthless. (laughs) Verse 13. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. Remember, they've been in exile and captivity. So the intention of the good shepherd is to bring you out of captivity. Boy, isn't that good news? Right now, you may not be in a country called Babylon, but you might be in a state of mind that's very captivating for you. It's been ruling in your life. It's shaped who you are. It's formed your personality. It's limited where you've gone in your life, what you've pursued, who you'd ever try to be because of what you've always kind of been anchored to, this thought about yourself or the way people have always treated you, how you see yourself. The good shepherd comes and says, I, I want to take you out of that country. That's my desire for you. But you're coming out of that. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in the inhabited places of the country, verse 14. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. The good shepherd intends to feed you. Now, Now be careful because there's different types of feeding that you and I do in life. The Bible says man does not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the feeding this good shepherd's talking about. And sometimes you and I get very natural-minded, and we're looking for bread. We're looking for something that's living in our natural realm, and God is trying to feed us by the Spirit. God's trying to say something to us in our life. He promises, I will feed you. Now, you you do realize your soul is hungry. It's not just your physical body that's hungry. It's not just the natural components of our life that are hungry. Sometimes you don't notice that life is very unsatisfying because there's a hunger tucked away in your soul that only gets satisfied by God and by His Word spoken to you. So how many of you can trace out a time in your life where life became very dissatisfying for you? You're unhappy. Things were out of step. Relationships weren't going right. You're just ornery, cranky all the time. 
Go back and look at that moment, how much you feel like you're connecting with the Word of God. You'll be amazed at how often you'll find those were the moments when you were the most distant. And you felt the least motivated as well, right? I mean, when you're, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, when things are going good for everybody else but not for you, when yet again another bad thing has come into your life, you know, in that moment it's really hard to feel naturally geared up to just, okay, God, you and me. I, I just, God, I, I want to hear from you. I want to get alone with you. I want your word to be open to me. I want to open my heart to you. Those are the moments when we don't want to hear anything, do we? Except the noise of the natural in our lives. But it's in those moments where my soul is crying out to be satisfied by God. And the Good Shepherd says, I will feed you in good pasture. He says, there they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture that shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. That's, that's a big statement if you're a sheep. Right? I don't know, for us it would, it would mean I will make them not worry. Right? Most of us, even if we don't wear it real well, we're pretty professional worry warts. You know? we, I mean, we, we could go pro in a moment. Most of us really could. Because we just, we just approach life. One of the ladies this morning was telling me about, you know, it's just news when we just realize that I'm to just trust God with everything. You know, as though, as though you know, okay, God, I'm going to need to work on this first, and then I'll hand it off to you. And uh, so we just worry and sweat and toil and think. And, and after that's worn us out, it's like, okay, God, I've done my part. Now you can do yours. You know, that's, that's not how God operates. And sheep are, are naturally very nervous creatures. They, they don't relax well because, you know, they really have almost no means of defending themselves. So if prey comes along uh, to eat them, they have cause to be nervous. I mean, it's, it's, it's a natural thing. But the thing that brings them a sense of it's okay, go ahead, you can, you can eat, you can drink the water, you can lie down and relax, is the presence of the shepherd. Just knowing the shepherd is watching over my life. Now, how good this morning. I don't just want to put this on you to say, you know, wouldn't it be great if we would just trust the shepherd that way? You know, that is true. But I want to flip it around because I really wanted us to see the heart of the shepherd. That he wants to let you know that he is there that way. That he is the source of you being able to lie down, chill, relax in the spirit. The shepherd's on watch. He's watching over you. He's protecting you. He's caring for you. He's going to feed you. You're not going to run out. Well, wait, well, this pasture land looks like it's kind of getting chewed up. right? I'm running out of stuff to eat here. Well, that was a common problem for sheep, especially different times of the year, different seasons. But the shepherd knew where the good grazing land was. And so he would have them in this area, for so long, and then he would move them over the hills, over the hills, and he would move them to a place where they would once again feed. He knew where to take them. Right? Can you relax a little bit and know the passion of the shepherd for you is to make sure you're fed? Are you assuming that he doesn't really have an interest in that? Right? Feeding is that which satisfies the soul. He's interested in providing that for you. That is the passion of the shepherd. Look at verse 16 here. Last verse. I will seek 
the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And you know what I love about that verse is the detail of who gets included in the intentionality of the shepherd. The shepherd's tenacious, no matter which one of these you are. You know what might be an interesting exercise in covenant groups this week? Is to label yourself one of those. Or to recount how you experienced the shepherd when you were in one of those conditions. Right? Do you remember what it was to be found by the shepherd when you were lost? Go back and recount what your life was like when the shepherd came and found you. And do remember, he came and found you. I don't know what your theology taught you because sometimes we get hung up on the idea, oh, well, I responded. I put my faith in Christ. Uh, because he came and found you. Because he showed up. Remember what first proceeds. Here I am. Loud. The presence of God. Screaming into your world. Whatever condition you were in. Saying, here I am. Behold, I, I myself have come and found you. That would be a wonderful thing for covenant groups to go back and remember. What were you like when the shepherd showed up in your life and found you? And you were lost? Some have had the experience of, of not just being lost and then coming into the flock, but coming into the flock and then straying from the flock. Right? The strayed are in here. You know, your affections have wandered, feel distant from God, doesn't feel the same as it once did. You've lost interest in the things of the kingdom of God. You've developed interest in other areas. I mean, people stray. Uh, they drift but straying, I think, is, is usually because, ooh, that looks interesting over there. That looks like better pasture land than here. You know, I think I'm going to go check that out. And next thing you know, you're a scattered sheep. And perhaps you're a scattered sheep like the prodigal. Perhaps you're a scattered sheep that ran off and really made a name for your scatteredness. I mean, you really have created a problem. And you can't conceive that the shepherd would say, I will bring back the strayed. I'm going to show up in your life and go, here I am. I myself have come to find you who've strayed. Right? In one sense, Peter was the strayed sheep. He wasn't the lost sheep. He was a strayed sheep in John chapter 21. There's the injured that Jesus as the great shepherd is going to come and find you in your injury Right? Sheep were capable of all kinds of injury. You and I are capable of all kinds of injury. You can be here this morning feeling like parts of your life are severely wounded, severely deficient, severely broken. And that's what you're in touch with. But, but here this morning, get in touch with the fact that there's a tenacious shepherd who says, I will come, I will find you, and I will bind up the injured. I will do that. The weak who are here in our midst. The shepherd is passionate for you. I will strengthen the weak. The ministry of the shepherd is to strengthen your life. Now, now here's, here's a snapshot of the church as well. This would be helpful as well for us to see this. Seated around us are people in these conditions that the shepherd intends to care for. 
There, there needs to be a sense in us as well of some, some form of graciousness towards those who are outside of our condition. Because there would be some here who have strayed and they got one foot in and one foot out and they're straying. And you know, Before you determine whether or not that straying person is really aggravating you, because they can't aggravate you, can't they? Come on. You know, you know who I'm talking about right now in your life, don't you? They're a lot of work. They frequently stray. And they become an issue for you in your life. Can, can you remember that the good shepherd's intention towards them is, I will seek them out. I will bring back the strayed. See, I don't know what our posture is to those who are injured or those who are weak. Weak is a great category because... I, I, can, boy, I can be so th- sympathetic towards you and caring towards you if you're weak in the same category that I'm weak in. I'm completely understanding. I understand why you stumble. I understand why that's a problem for you because, man, I'm right there with you. But if you've got weaknesses in these categories over here that I don't have weaknesses in, as a matter of fact, I've never had weaknesses in those, that come so easy for me. Even before I was a Christian, that was easy. And you've got weaknesses in those categories... I don't have the same ease of relating to you and caring for you. But yet, the shepherd is as eager for them and their weakness as he is for you in yours. So helpful insights for how the flock relates to one another because in this context of Ezekiel 34, they got sheep running off sheep here as well. Not just the shepherds who are running them off. It's the sheep who are running them off too. Well, this whole passage concludes in verse 31. You are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the Lord. So the intention in this passage, Daniel Block says, indeed, as the concluding thematic statement affirms, the primary concern of the chapter is not wicked shepherds, but the relationship of the good shepherd and his flock. I will, I will, I will, right? Now go back to John chapter 10 just so we can see again concluding thought from Jesus in this passage. Again saying what he will do. John chapter 10 verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. I must do that. The good shepherd must go after those sheep. Now, right, you, you realize this is Jesus speaking to the, a Jewish nation, telling them that there are sheep outside of this nation, outside of this group that I have every intention to bring them in. Right, you do know who he's talking about, huh? You weren't sure if you were in the Bible? You're right there. You're right there along with Jesus telling Peter, shepherd my sheep. He's talking about you and me, the passion of the shepherd for his flock. Verse 16 goes on. And they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. And here again, I wrote this out in your outline. The plan of God is to gather his people into a flock. And in that setting, he will care for them and they will experience abundant life. That's John chapter 10. That's the good shepherd illustration for our lives. 
Now, let me highlight one thing that Jesus says in a follow-up later. It's in chapter, chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Right? He's still talking about his sheep here, the wolves that came to scatter and snatch the sheep. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. The shepherd's going to protect his sheep. Let me move back to where we found ourselves when we first moved into this thought in John 21. Not only is there a passion of the shepherd for his sheep, but there's a purpose of God in the flock as well. And this, this is where the intentionality of God, the purposefulness of God, the will of God finds means through which to get accomplished. Because remember all the I wills, I will. It is the intention of God to bring into a flock and then to shepherd and care for them. That's the intention of God, clearly, to bring into a flock and then to shepherd them. So the question is, how will he do that? How will he bring them? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the only verse that's not in your outline there. How is it that he will bring them. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. This this is not a change for God. I will seek the lost. I will bring them in. This is not like God said, you know, I've I've rethought that. That was a bad idea. I'm not going to be able to do that. I got too much going on in heaven. I mean, there's a lot of stuff for me to take care of. I'm God, for goodness sake. It'd be a better idea if I gave that, delegated that. Yeah, I'm going to delegate that. God didn't change his mind. It was that he always had a means through which he would bring them in. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. How does does one come into the flock? Through the door. Remember? Through belief in the person and work of Christ. The good shepherd who lays down his life. One comes in that way. Part of one ever coming is through the proclamation of those who would call people to be reconciled to God through us. So through us, God brings in. How does God shepherd the sheep in the flock? Well, I would say the same way, through us. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Shepherd my sheep. Remember, the same God in Ezekiel says, I will, I will, I will. Now says to Peter, Peter, shepherd my sheep. 
Right? And this would be throughout the New Testament. That word shepherd, Greek word poimano, you find in Acts 20, where the Apostle Paul is strengthening shepherds. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, poimano, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now listen to this. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. The Christian life is not just an abundant life. It is a dangerous life. Not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Who's to be alert? These shepherds are to be alert. I thought Jesus said that he held his sheep in his hand and no one would ever snatch them from his hand. Didn't he say that? Yes, he did. Well, how is it that Paul is now turning around and saying, you shepherds better be alert? Because there's a means through which God protects us. Listen, there's danger in the Christian life and protection in the Christian life, it has an address. Just like abundant life has an address, protection has an address. 1 Peter chapter 5 Apostle Peter, later in his life, says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, I'm going to go into this more next week, but, but do you see here that there are many shepherds and one chief shepherd? The chief shepherd who says, I will bring them. I will heal them. I will bind them up. I will, I will, I will. Then he appoints means in a place called the flock where shepherding care would be given. See, when we talk about what does it mean to be a part of the church? See, when you stand back and you look at the church from God's perspective, the church would be a flock among you. Look at that word next week. But among you, I believe, would be a reference to the local dynamics of shepherding that there's only one chief shepherd and he's the only one who could shepherd everybody under shepherds shepherd a few a flock and there's an abundant life and there's protection in the flock under the care of the shepherd that's the passion of God for what we call today church now today today is membership Sunday, as I said earlier, and there would be a number of folks who have gone through membership process that, that we have created, and uh, today we're going to have them come forward, we're going to pray for them, uh, we're going to think through what we've just heard about God's desire in his church to shepherd his sheep. So let, let me do this. Um, it was a class that was held. All of you should have got a phone call uh, letting you know that this morning was Membership Sunday. You knew that was coming up and that this morning would be that. You've gone through the class. 
we held off on doing this class. Thank you guys for your patience because we wanted to do it in association with this series. And so you probably did the class not earlier this year. Was it last fall or was it earlier this year? Okay, if you were in that class and you had finished that process and you know who you are, just come up here. Come up across the front here. We're going we're to pray for you in just a moment. But I want, I want folks to see you. I want them to be able to, to identify God's grace in bringing you through the door into his flock where he can care for you. Now let me clarify something as we, we do this. You know, we call this Membership Sunday. And you might be here saying, well, wait a minute, you know, if, if I'm a Christian, aren't, aren't I a member of the church? I mean, aren't I a member? Uh, yes. Yes, you are. If you are a Christian, if you've come to the point where you have come through the door, you've put your hope and your faith in the person and work of Christ to save you, then you are a member of God's family. No matter where you go to church, no matter how you attend church. But, but this is not so much about that membership as it is about whether or not you're scattered or not. Whether or not you have made membership an intentional dynamic of your life, that you are intentionally in a flock, relating to others, under the influence of shepherds that God has appointed to care for that flock. And you are a part of that. Lakeview membership. Uh, the second you say members, immediately there are non-members, right? Okay, well, this is not a process that we have intended to create exclusivity, to exclude. It's not at all the process. But it is a process that we haven't created intentionally in order to be Intentional. Because in the world that we live in, scattered sheep are becoming as common as those in a flock. And that, that's not good. Scattered sheep need to be rescued and brought into a flock. They need to be intentional about being a part of a flock under the care of the shepherd through local shepherds. So membership for us doesn't put you in another status in the kingdom of God. I mean, you, you're saved by the grace of God like anybody else. You don't get a special credit card in, in heaven. But it does mean that you have looked carefully at what it means to be a part of the church biblically. And you are intentional about that. So that's what these folks walk through class and talk to pastors and participate in covenant groups as a means of being intentional towards the body of Christ and towards being in the church. Now, let me make this clear before we pray for them. Being a part of this flock, Lakeview Christian Center, doesn't make you special. It doesn't put you above anyone else. It would be very clear to us as leaders, although we would be rightly passionate about what God does here, uh, and, and in many ways unaware of what's happening elsewhere in other churches. But we are, we are very passionate about what God is doing here, as we should be. Don't mistake our passion for what God is doing here as some form of underhanded disclaimer that God is only doing something here. 
we would be aware that we are not the only flock in town. There would be other flocks in this city being cared for by shepherds in many ways doing things that we could learn a lot from. Now, if you're here this morning, because I know that there's many folks who attend Lakeview who have never been through the membership process, uh, we want to encourage you. We're going to do another class coming up in June will be our next class. We want to encourage you to be a part of that so that you can fully look at it and study. What does the Bible say about being a part of a local church? Now, I want to encourage you in this, and this is, this is not intended to push anyone away, uh, knowing that we are not the only flock in town. What will be most important to us is not that you're here, but that you're where God wants you to be. And it may be that this is not where God wants you to be. You, you attend here every once in a while because you're bored with where God has you. You just want variety. You come here and you go somewhere and you go back to your church and you, come, and you go back to your church and you stay there for a little while. And, uh, listen, where you hear the voice of the shepherd telling you to be, you need to be there. And we love you and we're grateful for the opportunity that we have to rub shoulders with you, pray for you, minister the word of God to you. But if this is not where God has you, then then you are scattered. And you need to make it a priority to get where God has you. If you're here because you've run from where God has you, you need to go back and make that right. If God's released you from somewhere, but there was problems that you never worked out, go back, work them out. Demonstrate the greatness of God in the midst of his people by caring for the flock the way he cares for flock. Okay? All right, let me ask the pastoral team if they would come up. I'd like to ask also the covenant group leaders that you see one of your covenant group members up here. You see a couple of them, bunch them together so you can pray with them uh, because I want to illustrate something by all these folks coming. Pastoral care, covenant group leader care, um, See, remember, it was the great shepherd who said he would shepherd his sheep. I will bring them. I will care for them. I will minister to them. I will feed them. Right? It is the great shepherd who does this. But he has ordained means for that to be done. So pastors who are called, and we'll see next week, pastor is the word poimano. It's the word for shepherd. Pastors are called to be shepherds. These guys here walk in a manner that assists shepherding taking place in this church. That's why we make such a big deal out of being a part of a small group so that the care of the great shepherd can find its way in a real way into your life. And you can really taste and see the goodness of God in a real way in your world. So that's why we've asked folks, don't just come to a meeting get together with others, be a part of a small group, walk with others intentionally. Make sure all the folks here have got someone praying with them. Good. All right. Guys, God has sovereignly chosen that through the door would come these folks at some point in their walk. And then he has chosen that they would be a part of this flock. Some were lost, some had strayed, 
Some are weak, some are injured. But they're part of the flock along with us. So I'd like all of us to stand up together and and pray from God's vantage point the passion of the shepherd for his flock. Lord, thank you that there is even available to us at all a day when we can come through the door. Lord Jesus, that day doesn't exist unless you lay down your life and take it up again. Lord, thank you for your willingness and eagerness to be the good shepherd and the door to us. Lord, thank you that your love and tenacious care not only opened the door to us, but it's provided care into our lives every day since that moment. Your intentionality to bind up our wounds, to strengthen our weakness, to bring us back when we stray. Lord, and that you even came and found us when we were lost in the first place. Lord, today we celebrate with these guys standing here. We celebrate the good shepherd this morning. Lord, thank you for this place, this place of abundant life, this place of protection. Lord, thank you that you have given us a compass to find it, that it has a location and an address on this earth. God, we pray over these that you have blessed us to walk with as brothers and sisters and friends. Lord, we pray for the abundant life that you had in mind for them. Lord, rescue them from poor, low, natural-minded definitions of abundant life, Lord. Raise their eyes to the work of you in their lives, in their hearts, the transforming work of the Spirit in the place of the local church where you are changing us into the image of your Son. That's abundant, Lord. Lord, if you're going to give me any gift and bless my life with anything good, Lord, may it be that I look more and more like your Son. You could give me no greater gift, Lord. You could give these guys no greater gift. Lord, bless them with your abundance. Lord, protect them from the wolves. They will come, Lord. And in that day, Lord, that day of attack or that day of clouds and gloom, Lord, there will be temptation for them to be scattered. Lord, thank you that you are greater than our scattering. Lord, great, thank you that though the enemy thought if he, if he could strike the shepherd, he would scatter the sheep, but yet you would gather them back again and they would become a mighty force to bring glory to your name. So Lord, thank you for this place of abundance and this place of protection. God, we bless these men and women standing before us today. We bless them, Lord, with all that you had in mind in being their good shepherd. Lord, may pastors who function as shepherds may covenant group leaders who serve in bringing your care as a shepherd into their lives lord it may 
all the sheep who are part of Lakeview Christian Center. Lord, may we live toward these in a manner that reflects the passion of the shepherd for his flock. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.